Welcome to Geographical Thinking, the podcast where you get ideas, stories, and conversations all through the lens of geography. I'm your host, Guan Yu. Matawa First Nations is a tribal council in Northern Ontario that serves nine First Nation communities. There was little environmental information known about this massive land, 180,000 square kilometers. It's more than twice the size of New Brunswick. When mining companies were eyeing the minerals in the Northern Ontario land, the Matawa wanted to be part of that and other developments on the horizon. Ten years ago, they hired four people with GIS experience to collect and map their land, but that was just the beginning. Sarah Cockerton is the manager of the Four Rivers Environmental Group, which is the environmental services branch of the Matawa First Nations. She was one of the initial team members and is in charge of the environmental programs at Four River. Sarah, welcome to Geographical Thinking. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. We mentioned in the intro that Matawa First Nations are massive in area, more than twice the size of New Brunswick or six times the size of Belgium. Can you help us better picture where are you located? So we're in Northern Ontario and um, it's, it's hard to imagine or perceive perceive it if you are not from there or experienced there. Um, for our communities, um, they, they're north of Thunder Bay, um, going up quite far, almost all the way up to kind of the the far north um, ocean and such. And it's it's very remote. So five of our communities are remote. So as mentioned, we can only get to them um, by plane um, or by winter road on years that the winter road works. Um, so that's not always a, always a given. Um, and four of our communities are road, ac- road accessible. So to drive to um, the community furthest away from us, it's about a seven or eight hour drive. So that's kind of the, the distance we're going east um, by road. Uh, about seven or eight hours and then we're flying flying northward and if we were to drive up to um, say our furthest north community on that winter road um, we we did this year and it took our our staff about two days to get there one to kind of go six seven hours um, to kind of the last the last spot on the load and that then another day to drive on the winter road northwards from there wow and, and the community started to use GIS about 10 years ago. Can you tell us what, how is the idea of using GIS formed when um, Matawa First Nations, the tribal council, come together and kind of started the Four Rivers Environmental Service Group? So our, our communities knew um, with there being a lot of um, exploration interest in the area, but also because they're starting to feel and see, see the impacts of climate change, that they're in a, a time where there could have been a lot of huge potential change, um, unprecedented change. Um, so communities wanted to have I guess the systems and the abilities to to monitor and track this change and then make informed decisions and GIS offered a solution to that I guess informed decision making information system um, it uh, it operates um, 
like the ability for us to be like the filing cabinet of all of our environmental information, um, but also our community values information too. It was the way to connect Western science to traditional values because we could connect this through a location on the earth, through a place and, and make all those different types and layers of data meaningful. Um, not only meaningful to communities in terms of we could link all these different types of information, but meaningful to communities because we could also display and show it and talk about it um, in, in the form of a map or other, other I guess, output products. So a really, really highly valuable uh, filing cabinet was what we were going for and that we made the decision right at that time, 10 years, well, 11 years ago, that that was gonna be the system we used to make all these connections. During the time of COVID-19, your team did something differently with GIS. Tell us about that. We spent years just talking to people, collecting the stories and the information out on the land from, from, from the people as remembered and all the rest. And when COVID ha um, happened, we couldn't talk to people anymore. Um, we couldn't go and visit and talk in front of a map and have these conversations. Um, and it made all the worse because we, we couldn't even um, reach out through virtual ways because our communities don't have, um, have or haven't had the, the internet capacity to be able to link through other means. So really in-person talking was how, how we did things, gathering, meeting, and we couldn't do that so we we want didn't want I guess the data collection um, story to end there. We wanted to keep continuing to gather and and populate this database so that our communities had this information to make informed decisions. And so we turned to to actually to drones as a solution to be able to continue to collect information at a time when we couldn't have conversations. And um, what the drones let us do um, was we could fly and we were flying often we didn't want to be flying around people and all the rest anyways. So we could fly, we could collect thousands and thousands of images in every community and, and analyze them, pull them together, make maps and basically add layers and layers and layers of more um, new information um, to the already existing information collected. So it's been hugely, hugely beneficial. That sounds like a sudden shift, you know, how you used GIS to engage the community before, now um, pivoting to using drones to collect images. What are some of the challenges that come with it, of that quick shift? Well, for us, we had to learn everything from scratch. Um, and we had to do so kind of alone and isolated because, you know, there weren't any meetings or training courses, things we could go do in person. Because again, we were, everyone was locked down. So we had to figure out um, kind of everything from ground zero for the most part. I mean, a few of us, you know, we, we had been interested in drones for a while, but we hadn't really done really anything on it. So we had to go and work and get our advanced, um, our advanced licensing, write all of our policies and procedures, actually get drones, figure out how to fly them. Um, so those are all the, the, the items you would expect, you know, like <laughs> trying to build a program from the ground up with, with nothing, starting at So zero. you're resourcing, just to confirm I'm hearing this right, you're resourcing 100% internally, people took it upon themselves to learn the skills that are needed to 
and make this drone program to happen? Absolutely. This is our staff um, went out and figured out how to do this. Um, We together as a team and can't imagine, um, you know, it's hard to describe even the bonding that occurs within a team when you all have to work so hard, um, each relying on each other and whatever skill sets, you know, each individual uniquely has. We had to call upon all of those because we didn't have you know the package t- together to begin with it was it was a team effort really and um and yeah it's internally done and and built from that way and once we then got through the initial thing of even just figuring out how to fly and being licensed to do so then we had to encounter we encountered many more challenges that we you know actually being in community getting to community um and being in community and, um, you know, we encountered a lot of challenges, even just flying with um, aircraft and such. There's, you know, having to develop whole systems for notifications um, in a place where, you know, drones aren't flying around and <laughs> we're not used to have those systems weren't developed. So there was a huge, huge amount of work. Um, and, and as I said, it was, it was all a team effort. Can you give us a sense of the scale of the work? How much of the land have you flown in the past? How many working days have you spent on, you know, getting the project initiated till carrying it over the finish line? We we started, um, we, we basically kind of started last summer, in the beginning of the summer, and working on trying to figure out the drones, get them set up. Um, we did That's our- That's 2021. That's right. And so, and cause we couldn't, we knew our first step was before we could even do anything, we had to have advanced licensing because we knew we were going to be flying close to airports and we were going to be flying over people. So we had to have an advanced ticket to begin with. And up until the summer, we couldn't even have a flight review <laughs> because everything was locked down. So we had a flight review in mid July and we started flying in community by the end of August. And um, between then August and mid-October, we traveled to um, every single Matawa member community. So all nine, five again of those were remote, um, all involving chartered aircraft and such to get there and a huge amount of logistics. Um, and, and we flew every community um which um and through all the course of this we had to develop all the methods and workflows for it you know for every community we're in the realm of between five and i think five and twelve thousand photos depending on the size of community so that's a huge amount of really high um, quality imagery so in this case um we are flying with um, a 42 megapixel camera um, which was having a, a, a resolution of about one centimeter on the ground, and we were tying it to an accuracy of that. So we had to develop the, the flow through of um, being able to, to achieve that accuracy. Um, at the end, um, we had for every community, um, we have a we have high, high quality imagery at one centimeter accuracy and resolution. And it's amazing. You can see, you can see details in there we never expected to see. Have you had a chance to review some of these data with communities and how, what's their reaction? 
Um, you know, generally amazing. I mean, we we received so, so, so much support from the communities because I think everyone expected that it was going to be valuable. Um, but, you know, seeing it um, and, and being able to share and show up back to communities has been a, a real um, wonderful experience. Um, you know, pulling it up and you can say, wow, um, we didn't fly. Uh, we flew the drones in aerial. Um, so we don't have, we didn't shoot in oblique. So we weren't able to create, say, true 3D images, but we we're able through point cloud being able to get, you know, a semblance of even 3D. So the community is able to like interact with their community on the screen. And, and that's really, you know, something that no one's seen or been able to do before so that's really huge and really exciting um there whenever we we share get to share um you know everyone's i guess creative minds um you know are just stimulated so you know community members are like oh wow you know we sh we should you know use this to go check out this site you know we've been worried about this or we want to have more information or we could we could use it in this way so it's it's I feel like we're, we're really just on the tip of the iceberg of what we can do with it. And, and I guess we're really quite excited about the future. For these communities, maybe this is the first time for them to have that high resolution image, a bird eye view of the, their own communities that they have been living in for so long. Absolutely. It is absolutely. And, um, yeah, it just didn't exist. Um, in some cases, communities don't, um, haven't had even an accurate image of their own community, of, of their own, you know, roads and such. And so this, this is in some cases the first time that we, we will see and have and be able to create that. And speaking of future opportunities in which you can use the data and leverage this drone program iteratively, what are the use cases that you're thinking about? Well, we, as I mentioned, we, our priority one was, was the infrastructure. And we wanted to understand that and have that as a base. Um, moving outward, because that's where we're, we're trying to do from there um, for our communities is that there's huge, huge interest in, in the waterways and shorelines. That's an area that our communities want to have more data on. Um, and that's, that's a major, major priority, understanding that. Um, other areas, though, um, as I mentioned, there's development. So um, being able to help um, even plan for corridor development and such, that's a, a case we're looking at um, flying corridors with our with our drones and getting collecting information along that um, survey quality information. So those projects and things can be planned. Um, also, um, back to climate and environment, um, some communities have reached out to us with an interest in, again, going back to water, understanding um, wild rice and the changes in the, the wild rice areas in their community and the in, impacts of that, of, of climate and how that's, so that's another area that we have on the list, the list to fly. And, and the list is pretty much um, unexhaustible. <laughs> so those, those are, I guess, the immediate things on the horizon for, for this year. And then as well as going back to and repeating and, and expanding outward from the community um, places of um, you know uh, community importance um, 
you know, gathering areas, collection areas, those are all things that are really important to the community to have that high quality baseline data and have it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. I heard during the process, Ottawa become the first Indigenous community that resales drones. Is the idea to promote the use of drones and imageries for other Indigenous communities across Turtle Island? We wanted to to share back and support other communities doing that work absolutely because we think we think it we really really truly believe it could be a game changer for communities having the ability to get this data in this way and and having it and be there so yes we as part of that and are wanting to share back and and help support and and you know if if another community can get there even a little bit faster with a little less effort than we did then great that's what we'd like to see happen and so yes we became a a distributor of the Wangtra drone which um, we ended up really really appreciating and valuing um, because it was very fast and it can take off um, vertically and land vertically so we didn't have we could really kind of move around a community and it gave us a lot of ability to do that. So in our efforts, not only to want to support communities, but also continue to support our own program and our community's involvement in that program, we wanted to have a more, a closer relationship with Wingtra and, and be able to, to have access to the resources and supply. And that was really important to us. Reflecting on the whole project I know you mentioned many times of how tremendous the scope is, and it's still overwhelming to me that your team is able to do all of it within six months from the inception till, you know, all of the data collection and processing and all with people inside the team picking up new skills. What do you think is your secret sauce for success? Well, it's absolutely team. Um, you know, the, the individuals, I mean, a lot of projects like this, uh, and, and any project really comes down to the people, um, you know, people who, who want to step up, step up and, and be champions and such and, and their motivation and their drive. And, and that really is, is what was entirely the sex, the success here. We had, you know, a really dedicated team in all of us really believed um, that that this could make a huge difference for our communities. Like I said, it, it could be game changing for them. We all believed that and we all really committed. And um, it was really, you know, I feel now seeing the end and having achieved it that, that we were right. You know, it was worth it. It was worth the hard work. And in some case, you know, the sacrifice, you know, um, two of our team members, they, they went to all nine communities and they, they were, you know, the, the brunt of figuring this out. And, you know, they, in doing so, they weren't with their families and all the rest. So it, it was really hard slog, but I do truly believe it was worth it. And I, I think the whole team does. So that it, it's people, it's people having champions and, and believing. And that, that was what made the difference here. Thank you very much, Sarah, for the incredibly inspiring story. We're looking forward to hearing from Matawa in the future of the possibilities that these data and program help you to unlock.
Thank you. Sarah Cockerton is the manager of the Four Rivers Environmental Services in the Matawa First Nations Management Group. If you have the Esri calendar, you can see the map of the watersheds in the Matawa homeland and traditional territory map. It's our choice for June 2022. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations by the science of wear. Bye for now. Thank you.